All right, uh, welcome to the Apex Vaulting Podcast. Uh, got a great episode for you guys today. Uh, this is episode 58 with Garrett Starkey. We're going to talk training and a bunch of stuff. Uh, make sure uh, follow us on Instagram. It's the real Apex Vaulting. Um, we're also Apex Vaulting on Facebook, um, Snapchat, Twitter, in, uh LinkedIn, and always, if you have any comments or questions, just email us at apexvaulting at gmail.com. Garrett, thanks again for uh, joining us on the podcast. Um, I wanted to start, uh, do you want to talk a little bit maybe about Indoor USA's, um, you know, what, how did you guys feel about Indoor USA's? I know for me, I was like kind of like shocked. It, you know, it took 1710 to qualify. I think even like maybe a 177 guy got in, and then opening bar was 179. I thought that was like a little bit crazy. I mean, what? Yeah. It, it, it seemed like it was a little bit high considering the uh, entry standard, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, because I, I always feel like, you know. <sighs> I don't know why, and it happens in high school and sometimes even college, you know, the entry standard for a meet is whatever it is, and then they open so close to the entry standard, and what I feel like people don't realize in in the pole vault, it's like, you need those, a lot of people need those opening bars to kind of fine tune things, you know, Um, you're not going to look your best at your first bar, you know, you've got to make some adjustments with grip, with pole, with your step, you know, and, and kind of fine tune things so that you can kind of go at your PR, you know? And so right. I, and what I've kind of found and, and the reason why I do this, I, I always try and open up a foot and a half below my PR, no matter mm-hmm. how good I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I do that is it's usually not that first bar that gets you. It's the second bar. That's the hardest because yeah. the first bar, it's like, all right, five forty one, like it's pretty high, but like, you don't have to be on the perfect pole, like hitting the perfect jump to make it. But right. then once it starts getting in the 18s, that's the next bar. You got to be a lot more dialed in. So if you're not dialed in after that first jump at 541, then yeah. um, it, it can be a little bit difficult there. So to me, it's always that second bar that's that's the hardest. And that's the reason why I like to come in low and get a rhythm going because it usually takes me a couple bars to to get the feel for the meat and get the feel for what poles I should be on. Yeah, I, I always sometimes feel like, too, if it's a high opening bar for an athlete, I almost feel like if we make it on a first attempt, I'm like, damn, we didn't make any adjustments. You know? Yeah, and it's like, exactly. And, you have nothing that you have not very much data to go on. Right, and so it's like sometimes it's almost you wish it was like kind of like a blow-through, blow-through, and then you, you got went up two poles, cleared it, and then now you're kind of – on a roll but sometimes it's almost like a first attempt make on a high opening bar it kind of kills the momentum because now you didn't really make an adjust- any adjustments and you got to sit around and wait yeah that's yeah. the reason i made mine on my third attempt at uh, usa's strategic <laughs> huh <laughs> yeah um, so I, I mean, look, like I, I thought you looked good at USA's, but obviously, like you know, we, we talked after the meet, and you know, you were a little disappointed. I actually just uh, had D three nationals, and my athlete, she did really well at the Atlantic Regional meet. She PR'd, won the meet, awesome, and then you know, kind of a letdown. She jumped twelve six and a half at the regional meet, and then only jumped eleven nine at nationals. Didn't get all American little bit disappointed so kind of what i wanted to talk about with you because you know we had started talking on one of my posts it's like what are some of the adjustments that people can make going from indoors to outdoors because this is not you know 
after your outdoor season is done and you have maybe like half a summer or full summer and fall to like retrain, go through some training blocks, make some huge adjustments. What, what are your kind of guidelines? Like what do you do in between seasons, you know, from indoor to outdoor to get ready, you know, for that outdoor season? So for us, we'll, we'll start with the training wise. Um, what we're doing is we're trying to put in a solid um, four weeks uh, okay. of training before we start peaking again and so the, the way i like to to do it is i actually split the outdoor season up into two separate seasons because it's really hard to peak the entire outdoor season and you don't want to just train for two months in the beginning and squander a bunch of meat opportunities right. so what i do is i actually break down i train really hard again for four weeks and then i peak for six weeks of meats so for me that's the the ncaa meets Mm. and all, all the local college meets that I'm able to compete at mm. and, and hopefully put up some good marks to qualify um, for USAs. And then after that, I'll break back down and I'll train hard again for four weeks. And then I'll hit a string of six weeks of like street meets and late summer meets and stuff that we right. have locally. Um, and then hopefully peak for that USA. So it kind of depends on, on the length of your season and when your championships are. So for someone that has their championship in um, May, for instance, like a high school state meet, you may need to train a little bit longer than a month um, mm. coming out of indoors, maybe put in a solid six weeks um, of mm. training. And then I like to just kind of plan my taper to be – um, like put my championship meet six weeks out from when I kind of start yeah, so, um, dropping off the training. Yeah, yeah so just uh, to kind of maybe uh, be a little bit more detailed, I know for me and you, we kind of we were so ingrained into training that I, I know what you're talking about. But when you say that you're going to take the next four weeks and train hard, you know, what are some of the things that you're going to be doing? You know, are you talking about sprinting? Are you talking about lifting weights? You know, like what, what exactly uh, yes. do you do? So, uh, both of those. So, definitely going to hit the weight room hard again. Um, we don't usually lift a crazy amount during season. It's usually more geared towards just trying to, to, maintain. to keep things firing and maintain. Yeah, so, so we're not so, breaking down in the season. So, so let's um, say between season, like in season versus now, you know, a four-week training block, how many days a week do you, do you lift, you know, in both So, in, in season, probably once a week, and then... Mm-hmm. Um, Right now, for us, we're lifting twice a week, um, mm. but that's more so because most of the guys in, in our training group have a pretty good base of lifting, and mm. and um, we've all gotten a lot out of the weight room already. I'd say yeah. for, for a high school kid, I'd say more like three times a week yeah. because there's still um, a lot to be built in there. Yeah. Um, so well, for us, you, we're, but- we're hitting twice a week, a lot heavier. We're going back to... Um, a little bit more volume in there. So we're going to be a little bit more broken down from the weight room. Yeah. So, I mean, I think you bring up a good point there that it's nuanced. You know, you, you have to see where the athletes are. Like for you guys, if you, if you guys are hitting good numbers and, and you're not, and you're not too, you're not too, not too, too concerned about having to get a lot stronger, you're just trying to ramp back up. Yeah. Twice a week is great. I think, like you said, though, for a high school kid that's developing, I mean, they're not hitting high enough intensity level. They've got to go three days a week. You know, I, th- I think that that's a really, really important point. And, and like talking about volume, you know, just for everybody who's listening, you know, 
we're talking about reps and sets, you know, higher volume earlier in a training block. And then you kind of taper down to that lower volume, but higher intensity, you know, heavier weights. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's, that's super important because we, we were talking about before we started the podcast. I mean, I always felt like sometimes at the collegiate level, you would see some, some people would finish in, indoor nationals. And like you said, the next week they're going to their first outdoor track meet. And I, you know, some of those people never hit a good training block and it would kind of, you know, what, what happens to that person that doesn't hit a training block from indoors and outdoors and they try to just go through the outdoor season? What would you typically see or maybe experience with those types of athletes that don't hit a good training block? What would happen by the time they hit championships again outdoors? Right. I mean, usually they are fatigued by outdoors. You can't hold a peak for that long and they either um, fatigue or they get hurt because if you're trying to perform at your peak for months on end, I mean, there's going to be an end and you're going to get hurt doing that. Um, so for me, I think, well, first of all, it's important to hit some rest after a peak. So mm-hmm. um, I really like to take a, a week completely off. So I took a week mm-hmm. completely off after outdoor or after indoor USAs mm-hmm. to kind of reset the nervous system. Um, reset your mental and, and physical uh, preparedness, and then and then yeah, hit hit another training block, um, and um, yeah, I mean I, I think it's super important to hit that next training block, otherwise. I mean, yeah, you just can't hold on to that speed for very long. Right, yeah. I mean, I think that that's key right there. I mean, you kind of see people slowly fizzling out. Like, they'll hit some good numbers early in the outdoor season. I see it whether it's high school, college, you know. Um, They'll hit some decent marks early in the season. You're like, wow, this person's, like, looking great. But then it's like slowly as you get deeper and deeper and closer and closer to championship season, the person starts fizzling out, you know. The runway speed goes away. They're not able to handle the poles that they were on earlier in the season and you know kind of it falls apart and i think that's why it's super important for for pole vaulters like in between indoor and outdoor season you've got to hit some kind of a training block you know obviously right. and it's hard because there, there's going to be a bunch of meets coming up like right after indoors there's a bunch of meets and, and you want it you're excited you want to still compete because it's like you want to build on what you did outdoors or if, if you left some on the table and outdoors, you want to, you want to go get that mark that you've been chasing or whatever. Um, but like, for instance, like, yeah, we've got a meet coming up mm-hmm. this weekend and we just started training hard this past week. But what we're going to do is we're going to train through, um, the meets and you got to be disciplined and train hard through the meet and not necessarily feel good for it. Um, so that way you can do better in the later meets. So, I mean, we're not going to rest for this meet at all. We're going to, uh, just treat it as a high intensity practice. I think mm. most of us are going to be at shorter runs. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, you got to be disciplined in doing that. It's hard for college kids because their coaches might want to get a good mark early and want to, might want right. to actually compete at a higher level. So, so that can be hard when you don't have complete tra- uh, control over your training either. Yeah. But, but look, I think it's super important. And I think, you know, g- like you said, using the shorter runs cause they're lower intensity, you know, and 
you know, this kind of leads to the second half of training. It's like you can maybe focus on some technical things that you want to change for outdoors that you saw were problematic during indoors holding you back. And you can focus on that from a short approach. And look, especially I would say with high school kids and even maybe some lower level college kids, you might even be able to PR from that shorter approach because you actually fix something, you know? Oh, absolutely. I see that all the time with my high school kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, what, what would you say too? like, I mean, again, once you finish outdoors, you have a long time to like work on stuff. You can make dramatic changes in someone's vault. Like, I mean, imagine like, I, I don't know, like, uh, I, I want to use something that's like really, really visible. Like, let's say, I, I mean, it wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily have this, uh, at my club, but like, let's say you had someone that didn't plant the pole. They're just like dragging the pole. You know what I mean? You could, in a big off-season, now start to incorporate the plant and really make big changes. Because, I mean, I have seen people drag the pole, like girls jumping like 12 feet dragging the pole. You might not want to fix that if you only have a couple weeks before your next meet. You know, that might not be enough time. But what are what are some things that you think are appropriate to work on technique-wise going from indoors to outdoors? Like, what are some, like, maybe small adjustments that you, you can make in your jump? Like, how do you view that? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, it's it, for that transition period, it's like usually you had some stuff that you were working on in, in indoor season. So I guess continue, uh, just continuing to fine-tune the things that you were already working on and get them really dialed in. Mm-hmm. So for me, like, um, I had a couple things I was working on in indoor season that I thought were really important, and I kind of sacrificed some of indoor season to, to get those changes down mm-hmm. and wasn't quite able to get them down in time to, to really compete well at uh, mm-hmm. indoor USAs. But so for me, I'm going to continue to work on those things. Um, I think that um, it, especially because you're going to go down to a shorter run then. Um, when you're, when you're beginning or right when you end indoor season, you're going to go down to a shorter run. So you can really get those things dialed back down. So those things in indoor season that you've been trying to do from your full approach now seem a lot easier once you go down to like a four left or a five left. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, I mean, I guess just to use your common sense and, and look at when, when you want to peak and map out a plan that says like, all right, I'm going to work on these things. I'm going to hit two weeks of four left jumping, two weeks of five left jumping, and see what makes sense. Um, but I think you gotta you got to pick something like, let's say, for instance, like in your pull carry, like this is going to be an example for me. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of drift my right hand back um, yeah. backwards, and I'm looking to fix that, especially because um, I've been getting on bigger and bigger poles, and as the poles get bigger, you have to be way better with that pole drop because they start yeah. getting exponentially heavier yeah, um, yeah, so yeah. for me something that's not a huge deal to change for me is just trying to keep my right hand pinned on my hip and that's like it's such a small thing to do especially if you start out at a short run it's not a really big deal um but it, it, it takes some time so um, well, yeah, but I, I think that's a perfect example you know because that's something that maybe at the end of indoors during championships like Look, like so many people have that problem. Their right hand, like you said, drifts back, you know, behind their hip and it affects the weight of the pole and the balance. You're not really going to be able to fix that at the championship meet. Like you're no, just competing. No, I would never try yeah. to fix a pole drop issue in the middle of the season because psychologically it, it, it's kind of hard like it, to run full speed and change um, a pole drop. But as soon 
going back down to a shorter right. run, it's the perfect time to work on something simple like that because all it takes is a conscious effort to, to keep right. that right hand pinned and to focus on it. Um, so, and, and you can do that from the shorter run super yeah, easily. So I'd say pole drop is a really big one um, to hammer in in the, the uh, transition period. Yeah, I, I, I think that that pole carry, pole drop stuff, that's something that is like, you know, it, it seems very nuanced and it is, but it's it's simple enough that, like you said, from a short approach, you can kind of fine tune that going into outdoors. You know, it's like right. you're not maybe going to be able to overhaul everything about your jump. You're not going to maybe be able to hit up your running form, your takeoff, your sw- you know, it's like not everything's going to get fixed. But if you could kind of pick out that thing that is holding you back, and I think for a lot of people, you know, that that pull carry is huge. You know, well, for, um, for instance, I had this high school girl the other day who she was coming in and just getting smacked at the plant mm. and um you know we could either choose to to work on the plant but i noticed she was really carrying the pole behind her yeah uh, and when we fixed that pole carry i'm like hey let's just try and think about keeping that right hand pinned to the hip all of a sudden she came in and she was able to shift out in front of her a lot more right and it actually ended up fixing her plant so um yeah, that, that pull drop can be super important. Yeah, and, and you, what you bring up there, and it's, it's funny, I was telling you, I was on the phone with a coach that was asking me some questions. You know, you have to almost think about it like a diagnostic test. Like when, when we're troubleshooting a, a pole vaulter and deciding what to work on, like you said, yeah, the plant was off for her. But the pole carry was off too, and the pole carry comes before the plant, so she's not going to be able to fix her plant without fixing the pole carry. So you have to kind of look at the first domino in in the row that's messed up to adjust everything else. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like I mean, it's like you said. It, everyone can see the issues in a vault. Like I mean, you have so many people that go and comment on YouTube videos and right. people's Instagram videos, and it's like, oh, you didn't keep your trail like straight, or you didn't do this this and that it's really easy to see those things but it, it, it most of the time those problems come from the step before right is what i've found yeah it's it's huge and yeah so i mean it, it's funny because like i i made that post where it was like you know everybody can see the big things but can you notice the small things you know and it's like yeah like a you know, nice big drive knee or a big left arm or, you know, a bit, you know, like you said, the, the, the swing leg or big reverse C, whatever, like people see that, but then they're not looking at, okay, what happened prior? Like with the drive knee, I'm always like, yeah, the drive knee is a byproduct of a good penultimate step in jumping up. Like, you know what I mean? And in fact, if someone gives you a tight drive knee, but they're not actually jumping up, what's it worth? Yeah, nothing. I mean, it's all about the action and what you're, the intentions that you're doing to get to that position. Like, positions don't add energy. It's the what the the action that put you in the uh, in that position that adds energy. So right, right, right. And you know, it was funny. So a couple new people came in last night, and they're, they're post collegiates. Um, I think the guy jumped sixteen eleven. He's PR sixteen eleven. I don't know what his wife jumped. But, you know, we, we were talking after practice, and it's like sometimes I think the big big mistake that people make at, at pole vault practices are, one, you have, like, maybe a 10% success rate. Like, you spend all practice trying to hit some position. You run through, get stood up, you know, half swing, this, that. And then you hit that one time where, nice, that was a good, you know, swing leg. That was one out of ten jumps, you know. And then people are shocked that when they go to the meet, there's inconsistencies. 
Right. Well, it's like you're not consistent at practice. How are you going to get consistent at a meet? And again, kind of like going back to this idea of like going from indoors to outdoors, this is where now, like you said, from a shorter approach, you can really hammer in what you need to fix. Like to use the example of the, the girl that you were working with, you noticed her plant was off, but her pole carry was the reason. Let's work on that pole carry. Let's fix that. Let's get some consistency. Then we can maybe move on to the next layer that we can fix. But you got to see that consistently. Like she can't nail the pole carry once and then you move on to the next thing. Like you've got that's got to happen several times in a row instead of just trying to hit a position once in practice. You know. Right, and that's why I think it's so important to be strategic about things. So after your indoor season, take some time, reflect on what. Um, what went right and what went wrong and, and make a list of the things that you want to fix and then go to start out at one left if you need to and, and, and dial it in because then at one left you can get a bunch of reps of doing it right and once you can do a bunch of reps from one left then you can move back to two and move back to three but I'm a really big fan of just um, being strategic and spending a certain amount of time at each left and going back just one at a time yeah. and really hammering in those changes that you're trying to make. Because um, another big problem that I see is, all right, maybe you can dial in those changes from short run. You can do it from five left yeah. all day long. Then all of a sudden the meat comes along and you go back to nine left or whatever your long approach is mm. and you just completely screwed up and, and you're not able to maintain that um, yeah. that position that you've been working on. So I think it's important to just go back one left at a time and maybe sacrifice a couple of the, the first few meets mm. in order to, to be able to implement those changes um, just one left at a time. So. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that's really key too because I, I feel like that's something that I see a lot. Like I'll see an athlete do a short approach at, you know, whether it's in warm-ups or a practice or a meet, whatever, and it look, the jump looks way better. But then they kind of make too big of a leap. Like, they're going from a four to a seven, and now it all falls apart. Because you can tell, like, the only thought process from the seven is just, like, let me hit this big stick, you know? And everything goes out the window. And it's like, oh, my God, like, you did all this great work from a four. Let's, you know, let's slowly move back so you can keep those changes, you know? Um, Right. Why, why do you why do you think people do that? Like, why why do people think you know it's like okay, I, I'm going to hammer this three or four left approach and then just skip right back to a seven? Like, what? Why are these mistakes made, Garrett? I mean, I think it's just when people are in a hurry to to jump high or that you're putting too much weight on just your next meet and trying to PR because a lot of times maybe you could jump higher sitting over. 12 feet from your long approach than you can like hitting perfect technique from yeah. three lefts and, and going over nine feet. So it's a little bit more fun. You get more bend in the pole, whatever. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that like you got to be really dialed in to hit those positions from the long approach. Um, a big one that I see uh, that, that gets sacrificed when you go back to long is like kids that block out and like lever out their left arm during yeah. the whole jump. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, for us, like, we take a kid and we put him on a pole that barely bends yeah. from three lefts or four lefts or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you have to re- – for that one, you have to be really patient and gradually go back because as soon as you go back to a longer run, they're immediately going to lever out that bottom arm again. Yeah, I, um, I remember uh, Mike Lorick, uh, who created Vertical Assault, 
he would always do that kind of like a, a transition. He would maybe like do straight pull from like a three or a four, slowly start gripping the kid up where he knew like at a certain grip that pull was going to start to slowly bend and, you know what I mean, and hold that jump together. Because like you said, yeah, if you if you go from straight pull just right away to a pull that's going to have a massive bend, there's going to be a huge disconnect there. You know, it's like... Right, that, yeah, we, we do slight bent pull to, to like teach that part. Right, right. I mean, that that's so huge. And I think, you know, like obviously you're... It's, it's funny because like, you know, you coach and you're an athlete, right? So you have kind of both perspectives. And I think also that's what probably makes you as good an athlete as you are because if you can teach someone that really shows mastery of skill um but like now for coaches you know what i would say it's like this is why as a coach your role is to kind of pull the reins in on the athlete the athlete's always going to want to go back the athlete's always going to want to pr and like you said yeah you might have that kid that can sit over 12 but obviously they could probably jump 13 6 14 if they get a nice full jump you know but yeah that kid's that kid you have to make hear him or her understand that doing that short work and slowly going back to that full approach is going to yield that big return instead of just trying to PR an inch. You know, I, I almost like, I can't believe how obsessed people are with a PR, no matter how little it is. You know, it's like a kid would rather sometimes PR an inch than work on something that's going to give them a foot PR. And again, the role as a coach, you have to explain the process and, and, you know, make them understand that this is, this is a better plan. This is a better strategy, you know? Right. It's, yeah, it's so funny. As you say that, I've got a couple kids that I could just think of right now that I coach yeah. where it's just like every practice, like they, I see them like get out their long run pulls and they like start heading back to seven left. So I'm just like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? Like, yeah. <laughs> and they just like constantly want to, I mean, I love, I love the attitude that they want to jump on big poles all the time and like hold the top and go from long run. Like right. it's a great attitude to have as long as you have a coach that holds you back from doing that. <laughs> right. Right, right. Yeah, so, for instance, I, it, like, last night, I, it was, like, raining like crazy and, like, super wet and cold outside, mm-hmm. so I made all my kids go from short run, even though they, a lot of them wanted to go from longer yeah, approaches. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and a situation like that, I mean, oh, my God. I mean, talk about the Northeast, you know, early spring. You don't know what kind of weather you're going to get. You might get, you might still have snow on the track right now. So it's like you have to be smart with what you're trying to do in practice and give athletes something that they can handle. I mean, um, Chris Chappell was on the podcast and he, and he talked about this idea of like, you know, a negative or positive feedback loop. And it's like you want to give kids something that's challenging, but something that they can be successful in practice so that they realize like when they hit what you want, you know, whether it's a better plant, uh, a better takeoff, a better swing, that now they lean deeper in the pit, they wrap a higher bungee, they clear a higher crossbar in practice, and they get that positive feedback loop. If now in bad weather you just let someone go from long approach, they're going to have a really choppy day, and now all of a sudden, I feel like that's what creates these like psycho, like mental issues. I love how everybody's like, oh, that kid's mental. And I'm like, well, maybe he or she is mental because they're always doing long approach and always trying to grip as high as they possibly can. Like, I I almost feel like, you know, this is an important concept, too, is like, you know, we talk training a lot, you know, and Garrett, obviously, like, you know, when you're doing a higher, higher volume of, of lifting, the weights are lower, right? Like the intensity has to be lower so you can handle that higher volume. 
Well, I feel like the same thing. We're doing short approach. We have to main, we have to lower that intensity level. You can't just grip the top of a pole, you know, if, if you're doing high volume, you know, it's like you have to almost think of grips and pole stiffness in percentages like you do with in the weight room, you know? Right. No, I, I, I totally agree. A lot of times when I'm trying to make a change, like I'm not going to be on a pole that stops at vertical every single jump. Like it's just not realistic. Right. To, to be on a pole that's stopping at vertical when you're trying to make changes to your jump. So a lot of yeah. times, like, I'll post videos of, like, when I'm changing stuff of me landing on the back of the pit, like, right. trying to do a new takeoff position or whatever. Um, so, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I you, you, recently, to... you recently posted a video that I thought it looked awesome, man. You looked really good, but it was clearly a blow-through. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, was it, was it the one from last night? No, no, I think it was last week. I think you posted last okay. week. But it was, it looked okay. really, really good. But yeah, it was, it was a blow through. But that's, you're in that training block. You know what I mean? You're not, like you said, you're not going to be like tweaked out and trying to like, you know, jump as high as you possibly can. You're working on stuff, you know? Right, exactly. And, and it, it, it just makes it a lot easier mentally too to, to be able to run down on the pole that you're super confident with and that you feel like you can put your body in any position that you want to do um, with. And then you can get more jumps. You don't have to quite press on your run. You can just relax. And, um, yeah, I think that's a huge part and just building confidence and building successful reps. Okay. So let, let me ask you this now. Okay. I mean, you're, everything you said sounds great. Did you as an athlete, when you were younger, struggle with some of this stuff? Like, would you fight with, with your dad, you know, about maybe like doing another training block or, you know, do, doing short approach stuff or did you just always kind of buy in? Yeah, yeah. To be honest, I, I always kind of bought in. Um, my 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 dad and I have a pretty unique relationship where we've always gotten along really well. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got very similar personalities, and plus, like, I mean, I grew up just watching him pull vault and go into the track with him. Right. So, I mean, he's always been my hero, and yeah, yeah. Obvi- and rightly so. I mean, he's a beast when it yeah. comes to pole vault. He he knew what he was talking about. So, um, I've always completely bought in. Mm. Uh, to what he has to say, I mean, I, and I, I think he, he deserved that buy-in. Yeah. So, um, well, well, so he, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I got to learn all this stuff at kind of a young age, and I didn't necessarily have to learn by making the mistakes. Right. I learned by my dad teaching me. Right. I mean, uh, you know, one, I think your dad should probably write a parenting book. Uh, he, probably, he probably can help out a lot of people. Um, cause yeah, just well, it's wa- so funny because my, my little sister, he, he also coaches my sister, and uh-huh. it's not... It's not quite the same relationship there. Um, she, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a lot more uh, difficult of a relationship there um, than it was with me. So I don't. So, know so your dad, so your dad's not perfect, is what you're saying. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, it's it's amazing to watch you two, you know, communicate about the me afterwards, and you know, the relationship you guys have is amazing. And what I found that was just so amazing about your dad is you, you know your dad sounds so humble like i feel like if someone would just like bump into him and have a conversation they would have no idea that your dad was such a beast you know what i mean that he was you know oh, bronze yeah. medalist in 97 this great athlete it's like he's just like very very humble normal guy and, and very easy to talk to um which i think as a coach too i think that's important too like you know because i think it would be very easy for someone to be like intimidated like being coached by your dad 
And I think a lot of times people don't realize as a coach, you know, it's very easy that you can intimidate athletes because, you know, you're the coach and you tell them what to do. But I think establishing a relationship where there's open conversation and, you know, explaining why you're doing what you're doing is super important when dealing with athletes, you know? Well, my, yeah, my dad is, like, he's never been very militaristic or, like, demanding or my way or the highway type guy. Like, mm-hmm. um, when we go through jump sessions and practices, like, I know it, it, he, he asks you how everything feels. Like, he, he wants to get your input as the athlete. Yeah. Like, how did this feel? And, like, it's a conversation of, like, what adjustments you want to make versus, like, just saying, all right, do this, this, and this, and, like, this is the way it's going to be. Um and another aspect of him, I guess, is that he's like super calm, like, and he because he wants the athletes to be calm and right. relaxed, and so as a result, like, he's going to act really calm and relaxed. Like, he, he doesn't want to. He, yeah, he's not going to yell at athletes. Like, you know, there's some coaches that'll yell at their athletes if they're running through or or whatever. But it's like for him, like, the perspective he takes is that that's going to give the opposite reaction that he wants. Like, he wants to create like confident relaxed happy athletes and i think that those are the athletes that jump the highest so yeah no i look i i think that's super important i mean i i feel like you know if you're in the coach's box right and you're coaching and you're shitting your pants your athletes are going to be shitting their pants <laughs> you know right. uh, I, I mean i can't tell you how many times like maybe even inside i'm like shitting my pants you know coaching somebody but on the outside i exude you know trying to be calm, trying to be confident, like, we got this, don't worry. Yeah, you got to instill the confidence in them. Right, right. And it's like the worst thing I feel like you could do, I mean, is just, you know, maybe scream at an athlete who's going through a tough time. It's like you got you to gotta help them out in that moment, you know, and try to calm things down. Maybe after the meet, you could be like, hey, like, we didn't, we were not successful today because of X, Y, and Z, and we need to work on X, Y, and Z, you know. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that that's super, super important. And I, I really, you know, I think, too, you know, I, I know USA's, you know, you wanted to jump higher. I know the guys in your training group, you know, would have loved to have better days. But what I thought was super amazing was the fact that it didn't seem like anybody was that bummed out you know like obviously everybody was a little bit disappointed you know wanted more but it's like you guys all sounded excited to get ready for outdoors you know and it's like i mean it's like in this sport having done it for 10 years you're not gonna survive if you're overly emotional about the the bad needs yeah i mean it's like this sport is so up and down. You're going to have so many bad meets. You're going to have lots of good meets too. But, um, but yeah, if, if you are overly emotional and get overly upset about every single bad meet that you have, like you're not going to have fun as a pole vaulter. Like, I mean, it's just, it's part of the sport. So unless you're freaking Mondo and Sam and you can regurgitate (laughs) 580s, 590s, every single meet, um, you're not going to have a good time if you get upset with every bad performance. Yeah, I I think that that's important for athletes to understand. I I, I kind of you know I've been lately you know at the club kind of talking about it. The thing that I find amazing about pole vault is like yeah you know what you do end on a failure you know like like you said unless you're some guy that or gal that just broke the world record or something you stop right. Most people end on a failure, and I go that's a great feature for life because in life you're going to fail a lot. 
you know? And right. I even, I, I've been talking to a lot of kids who come into the club who are new. I go, listen, I think sometimes school does us a huge disservice. Like, Everyone expects every single test that you take, like even in September when you start school, that you're going to get an A on the first test. When in actuality, everybody should get like a C, D, or F on the first test in September and then progressively get better as the year goes on. But it's like in school, we're so obsessed with GPA and, and we, we've created this like kind of, you know, atmosphere where it's like everybody's got to have a 3.0, but it's like, I mean, Garrett, that would be like everybody should jump 19. And we know that's not realistic. And and the thing is, like, in life, in actual real life, when you leave school, it's like your first day on the job, you're probably going to feel like a failure. You know? You, you know, your first day at the next level, you're probably going to feel like a failure. You know what I mean? It's like, and that's okay. You have to be able to work through that. And if you're a pole vaulter and you get upset every time you have a bad meet, like, devastatingly upset, you, you're not going to last a long time. Like, you ha- you have to be able to deal with, with, the, with those bad days. Right. And it's, and it's definitely about striking a balance between like, um, staying positive, but then like, I mean, you don't want to be so happy with every single meet that you don't, you know, you never get a fire lit under your ass to, right. to go and, uh, and, and improve. Like for us, like, like, yeah, we weren't very like outwardly necessarily upset about the meet, mm-hmm. but I know like for, for Trey and Audie and I, like, we all have a fire under our ass right now, like, going into outdoor where we're trying to get the, the shit done sure, that yeah. didn't get done indoors. Um, you know, each of our situations were a little bit different, I think, on on why nationals went poorly. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, well, so I, I, I think it's important to have that. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, you can't have a bad meet and walk away happy. That's for sure. You, you know what I mean? Um, right. Because I, I, I agree with you. I think there is that balance. I mean, obviously, if someone's getting way too upset after bad meets, it's going to be rough. But on the right. other hand, I always tell people, I'm like, you should still care if you have a bad meet. You, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, if you're walking away, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's kind of like being in a bad relationship. Like, you know it's over. You know, it's right. like if you're walking away from bad meets and it doesn't bother you at all, it's like you're probably not going to jump for much longer. Yeah, it has to matter to you, you know, right. um, especially if you're trying to jump at a high gotta, level. Right. It's got to matter, but it's like it's going to matter in a way where you're like objective about things and figuring out tangible ways to solve the problem rather than just getting pissed off and throwing your pole, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, ex- exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, so. I guess, is there anything else that you would like to add, you know, or maybe a final thought on what people need to do to get ready for outdoors if they went through a full indoor season? You know, like, what what, what are some maybe last important points that you want to hammer home and let everybody know, like, hey, you got to do this if you want to have a good outdoors? Um, so for me, it, it's really about the speed work. So uh, training-wise, like, the biggest thing is just getting in a ton of speed work over the next four weeks and when i say speed work i don't mean running necessarily like repeat 200s and stuff like that right. i mean working on working on your 60s your flying 10s which is yeah for anyone that doesn't know a flying 10 for us we take a 40 a 40 meter build into a 10 meter fly zone where yeah. you're trying to be as fast as you can so working on your flying 10s 20s and 30s mm. and uh trying to get as much speed work in as you can so that you can be as fast as you can going into outdoors and then you know if you put in a huge base of a month of of running really fast you can take 
six weeks of not training super hard and uh, just vault, vaulting mostly and, mm. and still be really fast during that period of time. So training-wise, speed work like crazy. And then um, vaulting-wise, pick one to two things. Maybe uh, it depends on when your championship is, on how big you want to make them. But like, I'm usually not afraid to, to bite off a, a uh, a big a big thing to work on so mm. um you know for me my two things are pull drop and and uh getting my arms a lot higher through the jump mm. uh so those are my two things that i'm working on so go back to to three four lefts whatever it uh you're most comfortable working on technique and just work back a left at a time yeah um, i'd say uh, also make sure that you do um, a full assessment and, and write down your goals and, yeah. and the things that went wrong indoors and the things that went well that you want to maintain outdoors and, and make sure that everything is very documented and tangible. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, don't, I think a lot of times if you don't uh, write it down and make a plan, things can kind of get left by the wayside as uh, outdoor season starts hundred percent a hundred percent i feel like a lot of people you know if you don't write it down you end up being like hey what are you working on with your vault well you know i'm trying to jump higher well how yeah uh you know gonna work hard all right cool like you know it's like you have to know exactly what you're working on and and i think that's also the next level of becoming a better vaulter especially for people who are like younger and beginners it's like you can't just pole vault, right? Like you have to know what you're doing at pole vault practice, you know, and it, it has right. to be more more specific. Um, also, something that I, I just I just came up came to my head as you were talking was, you know, so you're you know you went to USA's, you're a big time vaulter, you've been jumping for a long time. You took a week off, guys. Yeah. Some people obsess over recovery. You have to do something to recover from. Like I feel like there's like high school kids. Sometimes that I meet, I'm like, dude, you're getting more deep tissue massage, more, you know, whatever, sauna time or whatever, whatever therapies. And it's like, but you're not actually doing any work. Like, you know what I mean? Like you're, if you're only taking a week off, I mean, I, I just, I don't see why, like, let's say a high school kid who's beginning their training is taking like two, three weeks off. You know what I mean? It's like, you got to get back in there and start working. You gotta, you gotta do something to recover from, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like after an, an indoor season, it's like it, it's it's interesting because it's like you're fatigued after the indoor season, but at the same time you're kind of rested as well because you've been you've been dropping off. Yeah, you've been tapering. Off. Yeah. So so it's like physically you're usually not too too beat up by the end of indoor season. Um, it, it may be for high school kids whose high school programs run them to death. Yeah. Uh, during the season might be a little bit more physically fatigued but mm-hmm. um but yeah for for us it's like that week rest is more of just like to to kind of meditate on the season to um mentally relax a little bit and uh and reset the nervous system a little bit um but yeah i mean for the most part we're dying to, to get back to work like i don't even think i made it the full week without <laughs> jumping i think uh like we uh let's see Maybe I did actually. No, I didn't. Uh, so we we uh, we competed on Saturday, and then by that next Thursday, like I think I went in my backyard and I jumped from two lefts just because yeah. I was like missing it so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that well that that that's awesome, man. Um, hey, so are there any social media accounts you want to promote? Like, how can people follow you? You know, yeah. Uh, go ahead and, and um, if you want to follow me, I'm. Uh, 
on Instagram. Um, we just made uh, an Instagram for our training group, uh, so go follow that. It's the you type in the Bro Olympic Training Center, uh, <laughs> you'll find us. It, I think it's uh, the underscore bro underscore tc is our instagram handle so go follow that we're going to be putting content on there um some of it funny some of it serious uh training stuff so um we'll put a mix on there it should be fun awesome and And then also uh go follow our club um on instagram which is just uh at azpva Mm -hmm. um we also put stuff up there on uh information for camps or uh we put up videos of our club kids PRing and stuff like that so yeah and I it was so cool at National Sioux hearing that there's people even from like New York State that are flying out to Arizona to work with you guys and I think that's awesome you know I, I think that that's something too in the public community I think more people need to try to like visit some of these like clubs that are maybe out of state and you know find out you know what else is out there to learn you know because the more you know the more tools you have in your toolbox so that you can apply that to your training you know and oh absolutely i mean i think like i've got my dad who's one of the best coaches in the world but that doesn't mean that we don't learn from other coaches i mean we constantly ask for the opinions of of other um people that you know we regard as as knowledgeable figures in the pole vault world so i mean i think it's super important to get other feedback from someone who's not your full-time coach yeah exactly um also you know again you can follow us at the real apex vaulting if you have you guys have any comments or questions just email us at apexvaulting at gmail.com um thanks for listening everybody thanks guys thanks thanks for having me no problem